Welcome to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today on Revelation Friday, we're going to be getting into Revelation chapter number 2. We're going to be talking about the churches of Pergamos and the churches of Thyatira today to finish off the chapter. Really exciting adventure that we have within these churches is understanding from last week's instruction that these churches represent individuals who come together to complete bodies in Christ. And as individuals, we find ourselves as, as the attitudes being revealed through these churches possibly being the attitudes we have individually. And of course, if we are, say, like Ephesus, and, and we're really good at doing the religious things, really good at church, really good at, at, at all the things that we're supposed to be doing, but we, we live a life that has left Jesus behind and as we serve in the church, it's more about the program. Remember that church at Ephesus, more about the program and all the things that are going on than it is about relationship with Jesus. Then we, we might be in a little bit of trouble. And of course, last week also, we discovered that uh, being in Smyrna doesn't afford a believer a lot of opportunity to be able to get in trouble because each day is their last day on the earth from the persecution that they face. And so every day is to, of necessity to be lived well for Jesus is understanding that any possible moment is a moment that you could meet him. And you know that the reality of Smyrna is, is that if the believers in, in the United States today live their lives as though they were in Smyrna, we'd probably have a much stronger faith, wouldn't we? we? We would have a much stronger Christianity because every day that we woke up would be a day that the Lord had given us to serve Him in, and we would respect Him enough to serve Him every day as understanding that it could be our last. But oftentimes that doesn't happen until peoples come under persecutions of, of, of a severe sort such as most of the, the Christians around the world. I think in, at this point of time, there's 53 to 54 countries where Christianity is actually illegal and people can be killed for their faith. And so you'll find that, that the truth of Christ is burning hot in those areas because of the persecution. Whereas you'll find in the United States that everybody's a Christian of some sort, and nobody cares because we have the freedom to to do whatever we want, be whatever we want, and go wherever we we want, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's pretty watered down here. But when the irons are to the fire, and when your life is at stake, it's real. So we looked at Smyrna. Now there's one thing I have to digress to Ephesus for that is very important to the beginning of our day today, and that is in verse number 6 of Revelation 2. Jesus said, Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Uh, very important to understand that doctrinally speaking, in other words, what the church taught, doctrinally speaking, Ephesus was pretty spot on, to use a British phrase. Uh, they, they, were, they were really good. The only problem that Ephesus had was that it had become more about itself and less about Jesus. It left Jesus behind. And so with that, we'll begin in prayer and we'll look at 
Pergamos to begin with, you, you may want to get your Bibles open to Revelation chapter number 2, verse number 12 to begin with. We're going to look at Pergamos to begin with. We're going to discover that both Pergamos and Thyatira, both of them had some issues as concerning the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and the doctrines of Balaam, who we'll discuss in a moment. So, if you're there, we're going to go to Lord in prayer, asking for His blessing upon us today, and we're going to dive right in. Father, we are grateful for everything that you have done. We thank you for this beautiful week that you have given us and all of the work that we've been able to accomplish. We thank you, Lord, that now it is Friday and that we are able to, at this four o'clock hour, Lord, just, just unwind to the Word of God. No doubt, Father, there will be those who watch this at six or seven or eight or maybe even in the week to come, they might catch this. And Father, we pray for them as well. We ask, Father, at any given time that this message be viewed, that, Lord, it, it give the rest to the heart of the viewer, that it, that it provide encouragement or strength, Lord, to the child of God, and then it bring conviction to the, the wayward ones, Lord, that they may be able to return unto their Father. And we pray that you will... God, and direct us by thy spirit, and through thy spirit, Lord, we may be able to receive of thy manna this day. We'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God, guys. In, in Revelation chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 12, dealing with the church at Pergamos, we see, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, The words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was martyred among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat foods sacrificed to idols and practiced sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, very important, the first thing that I always talk about when I go over these churches is the way in which Jesus introduces himself to the church. Because the introduction of Jesus to the church often will, will pretty much lay out the issue or the problem that Jesus is going to have with this church. For instance, if you, if you look up in Ephesus at verse number 1, you'll see he says to the angel of the church at Ephesus, write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Well, you know that the issue that, that Jesus has with Ephesus is that it's left him, it's left the first love, or as is written in the English Standard Version here, I have this against you in verse number four, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. 
uh, very important because he's, he's talking about the, the faithfulness of his connection to the people, the faithfulness of his connection to the church, the, the one who holds. The concept of holding is the concept of pulling close to and not letting go of. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among, in other words, dwells with and, and moves within, walks among the seven golden lampstands. And so Jesus is revealing his faithfulness to the people and calling out the, the people's faithfulness to him because he said, you have abandoned the love you had at first. So the introduction of Jesus we see in verse number one of the church at Ephesus is so very powerful to the connection of what he has a problem with. And it also in part reveals how to get back to correct. You walk with Jesus and, and you hold the word of God. You hold Jesus in your heart and you won't have this issue. Well, then you look at the church at Smyrna, and he says, the angel of the church at Smyrna, in verse number eight, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Of course, the issue of Smyrna is that they're being severely persecuted, and a lot of them are being put in jail. A lot of them are being killed for their faith. And so Jesus is, is revealing himself to them as he who has already died for them so that when they face death, they, they won't have to worry about it. They, they already have eternal life because he came to life. So he's, he's introducing himself as a resurrection in the life here. And he's also introducing himself as the first and the last. He came as the first fruits from, the, from among the dead course in the, in the first resurrection we also understand that that he, he will raise the last person on earth that belongs to God for he will be ultimately the last that all men see so we we get this comfort we get this connection to Jesus being and he says I know your tribulation and your poverty and he says don't don't fear what you're about to suffer as remembering uh, the suffering of Jesus, we remember well that that he went through all that he went through, ultimately also dying and, 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 and taking our sin upon himself. So it's very important that we see the way he introduces himself to the churches, is it not? But then we meet Pergamum. And Pergamum is, is this church that is introduced with the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. So what we discover in this, of course, we've already read through the church. What we discover in this is that they are not doctrinally sound. They, they have people within their churches, within their church, that are, are teaching differing doctrine, things that were not given by the apostles, things that are not true to neither the Old Testament nor the Gospels that the church is possession of, nor the writings of Paul or, or of John. So there, there are false doctrine, false beliefs among the brethren. And, and the very word of God is just that. It's a sharp two-edged sword. We understand from Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse number 12 that the word of God is quick and powerful. It's alive, that word quick. It means to be alive or to be very active. And, and he says it's, it's quick and powerful. That word dynamo, that, that's the same word from, from its Greek derivative that we get the word dynamite from. It's, it's explosive and it's powerful. So the Word of God is both alive and, and it's very dynamic, it's powerful. And, and the scripture goes on in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, to say that it's sharper than any two-edged 
sword. And so the word of God is able to divide the soul from the spirit and the bone from the marrow. And the word of God works as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so it's very important to realize that when Jesus comes to this church and he says the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword, not just a sharp two-edged sword, but the sharp. See, we don't have a word of God. Our Bible isn't one word of God among multitudes of the word of God. Our Bible is the word of God. Very important to understand that. So even to the to this modern day that the Orthodox Jews of Judaism today would say, well, we our Tanakh is the word of God. Well, I, I would totally agree with them. The entire portion of our Old Testament is their Tanakh. So it's very important to realize that as we have the Old and New Testaments, we actually have the complete testimony of, of God in, in our Bible, and so much that it is more complete than those that just adhere to the Old Testament, or more complete than those such as some Pentecostal faiths who would only adhere to the New Testament, because in the whole testimony of God's Word, old and new put together, we, we discover the, the true nature of our Father, the reality of our Messiah, the, the power of the Spirit. We, we get it all. But you're not going to understand it entirely if you're just hiding yourself into one testament, rather the old or the new. It requires both testimonies in order for us to gain the fullness of the, the word of God. And so he writes the words of him that has a sharp two-edged sword. Well, what's the problem with this church? Comes down and he says, I've got a few things against you. First problem of the church is that there are some. Now, keep in mind, this isn't the whole church that's going in this direction. This isn't the whole church that's teaching these errors of doctrine. It's just some. And the reality that Jesus talked about concerning the some is, is when Jesus was teaching his disciples that, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, the church at Pergamum didn't have the, the whole church believing in false doctrine, but if you've got one or two, maybe three or four even, uh, people among 5,000 that have differing views or differing beliefs concerning God, concerning Christ, concerning baptism, concerning the Lord's Supper, concerning these, these fundamental and major doctrines of the Bible— and, and they begin to teach within their Sunday schools or teach within their life groups in their houses or they begin to teach these things, that little bit of leaven that is false in its doctrine for, for that, that particular church that could spread to more people because of the connection of, of people outside of the regularity of the services and, and eventually could cover that entire body. And so... Jesus has come through John to, to write to this church to say, you better get it straight. In other words, it's the responsibility of the leadership of a church, the elders of a church, the, the deacons of a church, the, the pastor working with, it. of course, if the church is elder-led church, then the pastor is among the, the group of elders that are part of the church. And of course, if it's a deacon-type 
church then the pastor works with the deacons but nevertheless you've got this situation where the leadership entirely of the church has to pay very close attention to its sunday school teachers has to pay very close attention to uh, maybe if they're a big church and they have these life groups in different people's homes the deacons and the elders need to be traveling around to the different meetings that are happening throughout the week to make sure that those teachings are sound but if that's the case then the deacons themselves have to be sure that their doctrine is sound according to the teachings of of the church according to their teachings the teachings of a pastor and of course if they discover the the, the scripture of of you know the scripture themselves is as being doctrinally pure of course and the pastor's not lined up with the with the scripture's teachings then they need to address the pastor and if these life groups aren't lining up with scripture then they need to address the life groups but the whole of this issue wraps around to the point that that it was the sum that taught these things but it was the church itself that did nothing to protect the, the members of it it was, the, it was the leaders that did nothing, that said nothing. And Jesus isn't calling out the false teachers. Jesus is calling out the church as a whole and, and calling these people to the, of the church at Pergamos to pay attention to the teachings and, and remove those that are false. Guys, it's very important to understand the responsibilities we have as not only individuals as far as our walk with God, but also as a church. Because it's our responsibility individually to ensure our study of the Word of God daily so that we understand the doctrines of our faith. It's also equally important that we as a church pay attention to the curriculums we might use in Sunday school or pay attention to the teachers that we might have because they may be teaching an error. We, we need to call out those errors and correct them. And if the people refuse to be corrected, then they need to leave because all it will do will will spread leaven among the, the body, among the brethren, and ultimately split and or destroy the church. And so Jesus said, I've got a few things against you. You have some there, not all, remember that, but some. And some is enough to destroy everything. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam. Now, from Numbers chapter 22 to chapter 25, find it in the book of Numbers, back in the Old Testament. That's why you need the Old Testament connected to the New Testament. From chapters 22 to 25, you're going to come across Balaam. And Balaam was a prophet of Israel, and Balak was a king of the nations that wanted to subdue Israel. And so Balak paid Balaam to go forth and curse Israel so that he could conquer them. Well, the funny story goes, of course, y'all are familiar with Balaam and his donkey talking to him. But before that happened, Balaam did go on more than one occasion to go and curse the people after all he'd been paid to do so and he was glad to do so which really shows you the the faithfulness of Balaam to his lord as concerning Israel doesn't it so he goes to try and curse the people and ends up not being allowed to because God is the one who is ultimately in control and man doesn't have the authority to be able to curse or bless unless God gives him the right to do so and so every time Balaam would go to try and curse Israel, God would take that curse and turn it into a blessing. And Balaam could only speak blessings upon 
the house of Israel. And so Balak was really furious with Balaam because he'd already paid out the cash money in order to be able to get these people cursed. But it, instead of being cursed, God continued to bless them. And I mean outwardly bless them as Balaam would be forced to have to speak a blessing over them and it would come to pass. And so Balak came to Balaam. And you can imagine the situation that would happen there is Balaam's life is on the line. And Balak says, look, I paid you to do a job that you haven't done. In fact, instead of doing the job I paid you for, you've gone against me and blessed them. And Balaam explained to Balak, he said, look, my God will not allow me to curse them. I've tried on several occasions, but I am not permitted to curse them. However, because you have paid me, I'll teach you how to get them cursed by God. And that is what happens inside of the house of God when you have people come in as we would consider them wolves in sheep's clothing. Most churches today would simply just pull the rug over it. They would ignore it. They would, they would deny it. They, they, they would um, purposefully not listen to the false teachings, but they wouldn't raise a voice to say that it was false and to remove those people who were teaching false because they're scared to death that they'll offend someone or they're scared to death that people will quit the church. Of course, if you call out false teaching, the people who are who are false probably will leave, but that'll only be a blessing to the church because it will be more pure as being refined by the fire of God's word with a dross being left off, then it would be having all the impurities of untrue doctrine being taught within the walls, would it not? But we're not interested in having any responsibilities in the church today, especially in the United States, because we're a people that don't know how to function in responsibility anyways, because we haven't had to be responsible for nothing. At least our modern society, the old folks, they had responsibility and the churches thrived during the periods uh, of, of the decades past, but the church is suffering now. I'm not talking about the, the mega, what's called the mega churches. I'm not talking about the entertainment houses and the theaters today that, that ho ho uh, host uh, bands and all this other junk. The Word of God is is secondary or even third to the overall purpose of their gatherings. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about these sweet little old houses of God out in the middle of the country and in the storefront areas that, that simply want to proclaim the gospel and want to see souls saved instead of entertained and want to to be that blessing that they have been called to be because of their faithfulness to their Lord instead of to their money. <laughs> Just saying. And so what, what happened, digressing to the situation of Balaam and Balak, is that Balaam explained, if, if you take your daughters and you parade them in front of the young men of Israel, they, they will take your daughters to be their wives. And, and if you provide foods for this people that have been blessed by your gods and you give it to them to eat and they don't know that it's been blessed by your gods and they choose either they eat it, then this is going to bring a curse upon them. And of course, you see the, the situation that is revealed there is, is 
Balak put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, before the sons, before the young men of Israel, so they might eat food sacrificed to idols. Of course, whether they knew or not, it wasn't the matter. They ate the food that was sacrificed to idols, so they shouldn't have done and practice sexual immorality, meaning that what God had told Israel to do through the law of God is given by Moses is not to marry outside of Israel. In other words, among the 12 tribes, they were to marry within the 12 tribes so that the Messiah one would be able to come through Israel and so that they would be a people, a nation peculiar unto God and not be spread among the other nations of the world. So, Needless to say, you start parading your your Gentile women before these Israelite men, their, their passions are going to burn within them. And the reason why is that there were very strict codes of conduct for dress concerning men and women in Israel. And the women were not to be adorned with with plaitings of their hair, and they weren't to be adorned with with makeup, and they, they, they were to wear dresses, they, they were to wear very modest apparel, they were they were to to keep themselves pure. There's a lot of different things that that, that were requirements for women uh, in the Old Testament Mosaic law, of course, for the purpose of purity for the men. And the men had a lot of requirements that would be for the purpose of the purity of their example of of God, but also of their their connection with their women, because it was supposed to be a pure union. But what we find is the Gentiles are not connected to the word of God. And so the Gentile daughters of Balak's kingdom certainly wore things that could be a whole lot less than what the Hebrew women were required to wear. And the Gentiles could doll up and make up and they could do a lot of different things the Hebrew women were not supposed to do. So, so the Hebrew men are going to get snared by all of the different ways of the Gentile women so much faster or more so than the ways of the women they were supposed to be connected to. It's very important to understand that because in our society today, girls are taught that they're supposed to wear halter tops, they're supposed to show their flesh, they're supposed to wear shorty short shorts, and they're supposed to basically sell everything that they have to the image of of the boys around them and and cause boys to drool over them thinking that this is something good that this is something smart or right but it's dangerous ladies you need to be modest in the apparel that you have because all you're doing you're not you're not generating the affections of a man's love when you dress that way you're generating the danger of a man's lust, and, and that's going to end in a very bad way. Uh, you, you really need to probably pay attention to what God has to say because God keeps you pure, one, and safe for another. But this is the doctrines of Balaam, and so there are some in the church that would be teaching things that would would cause people to not be faithful to the word of god by by going in different directions from the word of god like it would be said in galatians chapter number one and verse number six to begin with as paul would teach to the churches of galatia that that he said i marvel that you're so soon removed from the gospel of christ unto another gospel which is not another but there be those who would pervert the gospel of Christ. 
And so this is the very point of this church at Pergamum is that it, it is following, not all, but some are following these perverted gospels, these perversions of the truth, and it's drawing people into practice of idolatry and, in some cases, drawing people into sexual immorality meaning that they are they are not faithful to the Lord and they're chasing after something else. Like the prosperity gospel causes people to chase after money instead of Christ. And the charismatic movement causes people to chase after these gifts and chase after these, these other things rather than Christ. And so you've you got this issue where you have some that are teaching this Balaam. But also, in verse number 15, it shows that you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans are a people who deny the divinity of Jesus Christ. The Nicolaitans are a people who, like Arminius back in, in the 300s A.D., when the, when the whole purpose of the, of the Council of Nicaea was taking place, or what you're familiar with as being called the Nicaean Creed, uh, the, the Council of Nicaea is to, to formulate the opinion of the Trinity or of the Godhead. And this Arminius was a man who was questioning the, the divinity of the Son of God and questioning the, the personhood of the Holy Spirit, teaching much like what Jehovah's Witnesses teach today, that the Holy Spirit is a... a, a, a kind of like electricity it's, it's it's not a person but is a presence and and is just uh just like electricity i mean there's there's no way to describe what they teach as being the holy spirit because they they don't believe in in the personhood of god they just believe that that he's uh it's just a an abstract idea that it's that it's just a force, kind of like what Star Wars would even talk about. That is just this force, this all-present force in everything. Uh, and in that case, they're not much different than Buddhists, are they? They're not much different than Hindus, except for the fact that Hindus have 33 million uh, gods. And Jehovah's Witnesses claim to only have one. But the challenge is, is that the scriptures reveal the very personhood of the Holy Spirit and the very divinity of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so we understand that, that these teachings of the Nicolaitans, like Arminius and like, like much of the, the ways of today, the modalism of today and a lot of other teachings that would come out that would deny the divinity of Christ, that would deny the atoning sacrifice of Christ, that, that would deny the, the blood of Jesus being the means by which our sins have been paid, that would de deny all of that, and, and yet still claim to be Christian. The truth is you're false. It's not Christian, and it's not true concerning the Word of God. It's false. But it does invade within the churches today because of the peoples who believe those things, and that is the teachings of the Nicolaitans. And you can understand where in Ephesus they got it right, but that God said, or Jesus rather, he said, this is a teaching the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. 
it's very important to understand that that when you go and, and question the Son of God, it's just like what was saying, anything could be forgiven a person, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven. And rejection of Messiah cannot be forgiven because the this is the very purpose of God for mankind. This is the very plan of God, and this is the means by which God works through and inside of man is concerning the, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the seal of the Holy Spirit being placed inside the heart of man upon his conversion. And so when you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit and when you when you deny the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you come under the wrath of God and these are things that God hates. And that's the very teaching of the Nicolaitans. So what does a church do? It's very important to understand that in verse number 16, when Jesus says, therefore, repent. And he says, if not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. It's very important for you to understand that the repentance is being called for here in verse number 16 is a repentance of the people who, who are allowing these doctrines to continue. It's a repentance of a people who, who know that these things are wrong, but that are afraid to speak up, that are afraid to challenge, that are afraid to, to do something about it because they, they're afraid of the people that, that are doing it. And, and Jesus said, no. Jesus said, if you know that something's wrong, you, you are expected, you are required to speak up about it. And he says, therefore, repent. And if you do not, look, if the church knows that there are false teachings and that there are false teachers and that there are things that, that, that are not right, that are wrong, and they don't say anything about it, Jesus is coming and he's going to bring a sword with him. And that, you know, a lot of churches that close their doors today close their doors not because of those that were wicked within the body, but their doors are closed because those who should have been faithful and were silent. You see, the wicked certainly are less than the, than the righteous, so to speak. The people that desire to know God are so much greater than the people that, that don't care and are there for whatever nefarious means that they're in that church for. And if the people would come together in unity and they would take a stand for the teachings of the word of God and that they would be willing to challenge and to, to question and to, to literally fight against the false with the sword of the, of the Lord, with the, with the Bible, then they wouldn't have to worry about Jesus coming against them with the sword of his mouth. But if, like most churches today that have no spine... They continue to allow wickedness to happen within their walls, wickedness to happen within their communities, within the, within the church body, outside of the church. People know that people are drinking. People know that people are partying. People know that people are, are lewd and hateful and, 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 and everything else. But nothing is said. Everything's just swept under the carpet so that we could all have a good Sunday. You're, you're going to suffer. Because Jesus isn't going to be acceptable to that. Jesus is going to come and fight against you with the sword of his mouth. So the best thing for the church to do, for the faithful in Christ Jesus to do, 
is to face the fact that they've allowed evil to happen in their walls, that they've allowed false doctrines to be taught, that they've allowed things to come in, these, these idols to come in, and these immoral practices to, to, to happen, and they need to get down on the altar and repent. It's just that simple. Welcome to Pergamos. And I find that Pergamos would be an example of a lot of churches in the United States today. Along with Ephesus and all of their programs that would cause them to reach a place where false teaching would be instead of being true to the Word of God itself. Very important to understand that, isn't it? The person that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Now, if you were willing to take a stand, and if you were willing to speak up, and if you as a body were willing to call out false teachers, false teaching, because you have studied to show yourself approved unto God, and you have rightly divided the word of truth in, in knowing the doctrines of your faith, then look what happens. He says, the one who conquers takes that stand regardless of what comes at him. I'll give him of the hidden manna. And, and as I taught this last Friday evening, the hidden manna is beautiful because it is the, the, the revelation, like the book of Revelation, it's the revelation of those things of God's word. You see, uh, the word of God is indeed hidden to those that have not received it. And the word of God is hidden to those who will not receive it. But the word of God is the manna, the angel's food, the very bread of life as Jesus revealed himself to be in John chapter 6. The word of God indeed is the hidden manna that is, that is fully available to those who desire to have it. For as God said, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. So it's very important to understand that those who overcome false doctrine, those who, who call out false teachings and are willing to take a stand for the things of God are going to be the people who receive of the hidden manna. Because Jesus is going to give them understanding through the Holy Spirit of those things of himself so that they may be even stronger in their stand for the faith. And we get the white stone. Last thing to explain today, we'll do Thyatira next Friday because there's just so much good information about each one of these churches. You want to try and get as much of it in as you can. But this white stone, it's really exciting. In verse number 17, he says, I'll give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone. Now, all of us are familiar with an old hymn in, in, in our hymn books called A New Name Written Down in Glory. And we sing that song, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. With the white robed angels up in glory singing, oh, praise God. This person, this saint, this sinner who became a saint has come home. This new name written down in glory. This, this re represents this stone that will be given. So as, as you enter into heaven, you've been faithful. You've been a part of a faithful bride. You've been faithful to his doctrine. You've been faithful to Jesus. You get to heaven. Jesus is going to come to you, and he's got a name written on a white stone, and he's going to hand it to you. And the only two people that are going to know that name are going to be you and Jesus. Now, I'm going to recognize you in heaven. We're all going to be able to recognize each other. But I'm not going to know your name. I might have known your name formally, but I'm also going to have that white stone with a new name on it. So I'm going to have to tell you what my new name is. And you're going to have to tell me what your new name is. But 
we're still going to recognize each other. We're just not going to know each other's name. And that is so thrilling because of the concept that I taught last Friday as concerning being blackballed. Now, the, the term blackballed is a situation that came from the court systems in England during the times of the monarch, in which case the, the king himself or the magistrate in his place is sitting in the seat of, the, of being the judge, and the jury that is listening to the case as the case be presented before the judge, the jury had a white stone and the jury had a black stone. Now, if the jury decided that you would be guilty, the jury would cast their black stones into a basket, and with that, you would, you would get hung outside the gate because you'd been found guilty. However, if the jury was to provide a white stone... That would mean that you are acquitted, that, that you are not even seen as being guilty anymore because you are going to be set free from the king. Now, the, the email channels and the, and the media means we have today didn't exist back in that day, and so a white stone would be provided to the individual who was acquitted of the crime that they were accused of, and that white stone would carry the signet of the king. And so any, any guards or any policemen of the, of the villages or of the cities roundabout that might accost the person because they knew that, there was, that they were wanted at one time, this person producing that white stone would provide them with the means to be able to be set free no matter who grabbed a hold of them because it would reveal that they had been acquitted of the crime, that they're innocent not guilty. And so you receive that white stone because you are innocent from the doctrines of Balaam. You're innocent from the teachings of the Nicolaitans. You're innocent from, from your not addressing those things. You stand pure before God as a faithful witness, as a faithful part of the bride, and thus you get the white stone, and thus you receive the hidden manna. Great stuff, guys. Can't go any further today, but thank God for everyone who tunes into this and hanging out with me. Uh, we'll get into the church at Thyatira next Friday, and, and that will be good in itself as well. So God bless you. And also we'll be getting into Luke chapter number 23. We'll be finishing that off on Monday. And don't forget to tune in on Sunday afternoon because we've got a great great message coming from the Lord at Morgan's Church right now. Pretty soon it'll be Martin Baptist Church, but right now it's Morgan's Baptist Church, and and um, amen. So you definitely want to catch those services. You don't want to miss one part of the Word of God, right? Father, we're thankful, asking thy blessing upon the rest of our day that we may live it well in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. God bless you, keep you, and cause his face to shine upon you. And I shall see you guys, well, soon. <laughs> Sunday, hopefully. Monday for certain. Take care.